for some bonus audio coming your way. It's the SOC. The State of Combat is back on CBS Sports with your boy BCB, Brian Campbell. And you better believe it's back with a bang. Pro wrestling, bonus style, Hall of Fame bonus style. Yes, we are coming at you underwritten, backed, and jacked, of course, by that performance-enhancing audio. And it's not only your boy, BC, it's the bad guy himself, Adam Silverstein, sitting across from me, thousand miles away, and Silver King. We got quite an exclusive guest for this little bonus chat. You want a WWE Hall of Famer? You want the exclusive reaction right here? You got it, brother. Yeah, absolutely, BC, and you know how much we around here love that intercontinental championship. Well, today we have someone joining the show who has an argument to be the greatest intercontinental champion of all time, at least for a 64-week period. 64 amazing weeks. Hit him with the theme music. Oh, yeah. Oh, sing it, Honky. Sing it. Oh, it still holds up. It still holds up. Oh, you better believe it. The honky-tonk man, Wayne Ferris himself. Uh, it's a little bit surprising here that, that he joins this class of 2019, which already includes D-Generation X. Adam, we're going to hear from Honky in a minute to find out his reaction. But for me as a fan, I pop big. One of the best heels during that prime late 80s WrestleMania launching Vince going national run in WWF. And I only say a little bit surprising because we know he's been on the ins and outs through the years. Like a lot of ex-superstars have been with WWE. He was the master of the shoot interview for a while online. But to see him come back where really if you if you want to argue where he belongs specifically for that IC title run, it was great to see. Oh, you're talking about. At the time period, one of the biggest stars that WWE had holding one of the company's biggest titles, and there's reasons for that, you know, that he will certainly get into, uh, and I'm sure he'll even speak to that at a greater length during his WWE Hall of Fame speech at Barclays Center on Saturday before WrestleMania, which you can watch live on the WWE Network, of course. Um, but you're talking one of the greatest, you know, villains in WWE history because he was directly opposed to some of the greatest faces and turned some of the other good heels in WWE history into faces. That's how good he was. He was such a good bad guy that he turned other bad guys good. And he does speak a lot about that. Oh, Honky Tonk Man, you've got to face the music. Jake the Snake Roberts. Let's say the Honky Tonk Man's going to play the music. Uh, and I'm going to play it for Gotham. you always talking about Gotham. That's the home of Batman and Robin. Right or wrong? That's, uh... That's a honky-tonk man's second home, and I walk Manhattan, and I'm looking for a fight. You know I have not. After all this time, when I walked the streets of New York City, I the honky-tonk man said, I'm looking for a fight. I hadn't been able to find one. I don't think there's anybody tough around there. I don't think there's anybody bad. Jake, Jake the Snake Roberts, <laughs> I think you're going to have your I hands proved, I proved a long time ago that Jake the Snake Roberts wasn't so tough. I played the number one hit tune for Jake the Snake Roberts. He hadn't been the same since then. And by number one hit tune, of course, the Hoggy Talk Man is mentioning that guitar shot to the back of Jake's head. 
live on the Snake Pit on Wrestling Superstars 1987, one of the more iconic moments, Adam, and made even worse for Jake by the fact that I'm not sure it was a gimmick guitar. It didn't break. There's been a lot of controversy through the years over with that. Yeah, apparently he was picking splinters out of his skin for a long period of time, so he could thank Wayne Ferris for that. Well, we're going to break down uh, as best we can Honky's career, our favorite memories, but why, why waste any more time, Adam? Let's hear from the latest inductee to the WWE Hall of Fame himself. You'll be seeing him on that podium, like Adam mentioned, in April in New York, but hear from him now, the Honky Talk Man coming at you. Yes, he's cool. He's cocky. He's bad. He's a Hall of Famer, the Hockey Talk man, Wayne Ferris. Congratulations, buddy. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you so much. And that was hey, that was a great introduction. You know, usually with these guys, I have to say, now, wait a minute. You forgot to say the greatest WWE Intercontinental <laughs> Champion of all time. And you forgot to say this. You forgot to say that. And then they have to go back and redo it. But that's wonderful. Thank you. Can I call you honky? I know that's an awkward question. In yes, 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 absolutely. I, I, I was telling a young fellow uh, yesterday or day before, uh, he said, what What should I call you? And I said, well, I don't even think my children know my real name. But uh, you, <laughs> I just call me honky tonk man, honky, HTM. It doesn't matter. Well, we'll be seeing you in April, New York. Hall of Fame 2019 class WWE, an amazing accomplishment that I'm sure, you know, puts a ribbon on everything you've given to this business. I got to know, how did you find out about it? Those origin stories always pop us as fans. When and how did you find out you were getting in this year? It's only been a, uh, a day or so ago, and uh, I was shocked. Uh, I, you know, I really, I am, I'm, I'm still, it hasn't sunk in. Uh, it's like, I, I don't know. I, I, I get excited. I'm excited about it for sure. And, and then it's, uh, it's like, gosh, is this, I don't, I, it was, I didn't know what to say. I was, I mean, I, I'm sure that, uh, they might've thought, well, he didn't sound too excited, but I, I mean, my excitement was, it, it's kicking in now. Let me, let me just say it's kicking in. Who do you call first? Who's the first person you tell when something like this happens? Well, obviously, just the, the, my family that's there with me. I, I I'm not one of these guys that uh, uh, tend to you know go out and and, and uh, broadcast to the world anymore. I'm not in that kind of business anymore. I don't do podcasts and things for anymore. And that's that's all days gone by. And and I kind of just take life easy now and take it slow and. And, and just, I, I don't know, it, it's one of these things where, uh, you know, WWE is, is the, the place to be. For me, it's the only place I've ever wanted to be. Uh, it's the place that I, I if I, I'm ready to finish up, that's where I want to be. And, and uh, I, it's, it's home for me because I have so many fond memories of everything that, that, that that has been accomplished by WWE and, and by, you know, from what I've accomplished myself. And, and it wasn't me alone. It was a, a, a huge team effort. Uh, you were an incredible player on the team, if you will. One of the better heels in my youth. Of course, a decorated Intercontinental Champion. Uh, how do you sort of define your legacy in this business and what you put into this? You know, it's it's not for me really to define my legacy. That's up to uh, 
to the historians, I suppose, and, and, and other people. And uh, I just want to be remembered and, and let everyone know that I hope I, you know, fulfill what they expected of me of, of my sports and entertainment uh, life. And that's all I ever wanted to do is to be in in sports and entertainment and to be in WWE gave me the opportunity to do both. And, and uh, I, I approached every day with it as if that might be my last hurrah because you, you're only as famous as your last big match anyway. And, uh, and uh, the Intercontinental Championship was something that, uh, again, I was shocked and surprised about uh, getting the opportunity to uh, to to have that uh, championship, and uh, then I put all my time and effort into being the best I could be because that's just how I want to do stuff. If I can't do it the right way and I can't make the people happy that come to see me, uh, then I'm not doing my job. You couldn't have been on top, so to speak, with that IC belt at a better time. Obviously, that run, 64 weeks. 454 days from 1987 to 1988 as Intercontinental Champion, right in that gap between WrestleMania three and four. I mean, this is this is the, the what a time to be alive. Describe for me as best you can those 64 weeks. What the heck was that run like? It was it was fantastic. It was uh, it was grueling. Now I'm not I'm not going to 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 uh, uh, sugarcoat it and say that everything came easy and it was a uh, a, a lovely walk, but uh, it was it was grueling because we put a lot. Like I said, we put a lot of time and effort into it, and we were we were busy out on the roads and 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 making sure that that we were in in, in all the venues and on all the towns and entertaining the fans as, as as the best we could in the way WWE wanted us to do it. And uh, I, the great Howard Finkel. Another Hall of Famer and and the fabulous ring announcer and the, the the like the voice of WWE from that era when I was there came up to me a few years ago three four years ago we were doing a signing somewhere and he mentioned the dates and the times like you just did and it surprised me because I didn't know it was that many days I knew it was like sixty four weeks or something but he had it all because Howard always he Howard's a, is like a great historian and, and knows everything. And uh, he was able to say the stuff just like you did. And then it, it hit me that, gosh, that was quite, it was a while. It was a long time. And uh, uh, it was, it was exhilarating. To look, to be out there every night and the crowds were uh, electrified. It was, it was electric in the air. We had tremendous following back then from the fans like they do now. And uh, uh, WWE was on a roll that just, it hasn't stopped. It's, it's continued on. And uh, someone asked me uh, not so long ago, what do you miss most about WWE? And I said, everything. And there's nothing like having that championship uh, and, and going out and doing radio and TV and, and, and talking about it. And then, of course, being, like you said, I was a, I was a good bad guy. And uh, people... They, they wanted me to lose, and they didn't care who I lost to. Some of these kids nowadays are 40 years old, and they said when they were eight years old, they, they thought they could beat me. <laughs> well, look, that's if somebody's going to ask me, because this is my era, this is my time back then, you know, what, what who was Honky Talk Man? I'm just going to say 
uh, obviously, you know, you're doing the Elvis thing, you're doing the, the rock and roll guitar thing, the country rock thing, but you knew your character so well. You just were so comfortable in the skin of that heel. So for you, what was the key to draw heat like that? I had always been, when I started in, into uh, the industry, I, I started out as kind of the bad guy. And, and I, I had watched and studied really good heel bad guys uh, coming along as I was a young upstarter. And, and, and I would take a little bit from each one. And I think that's the key to, to, to developing a character anyway, is to, you, you, you know, you take a little bit from this one, you take a little bit from that one, you put it, try to put it all together and make it work for you. And it worked for me to the point where I could project that character out to the public, to the viewing audience and, and get the point across. And I, I practiced numerous thousands and thousands of times with these these interviews and these taglines that I would do I still carry them in my briefcase now I have three pages of of, of legal pad back uh, front and back of taglines you know like like I'm walking I'm walking the streets of New York and I'm looking for a fight and I promise there's nobody in Brooklyn New York can fight the honky tonk man I'm the greatest of all time I can't be beat and 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 I could just say these things and make people want to come through the television and choke me. No doubt. No doubt. I was one of those kids. I was one of those kids. When's this guy going to get off my screen? You know, as a heel, <laughs> that's what you're looking for. Well, I know exactly what you were saying when you were seven or eight or 10 years old watching that. And I said, I'm going to, I'm walking the streets of, of, uh, of downtown Manhattan, or I'm in, I'm walking the streets of Brooklyn, and you were saying, "Yeah, right. I hope you come down my street because I'll God, I can beat him." And uh, but that that was the beauty of the whole thing, and and that's what I I, I I tried to portray, and that's how I I developed this character to be this type person, and 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 consequently it it worked for me, and it worked for WWE. And uh, it worked around the world, and it's worked for a long time. And now fans are just, they're so happy to see me. And now, of all these times of being such a bad guy, uh, I went back to the old school Raw show they had a few years ago up in Buffalo. And when I was announced to the crowd, uh, the crowd cheered like they'd never cheered. It was, it was amazing because I had been booed out of all of these buildings for so many years. And then they they loved it. They loved seeing me, and they it was that was exhilarating and fun and a happy time. And and I carried it on. And now I'm like the good guy everywhere I go. Full circle, right there, Honky. Full circle back to Babyface. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Now look, you came up in Memphis. I didn't even know until researching you. Tell me if I'm incorrect here. You're a first cousin of Jerry the King Lawler. Yes, yes, we are. Our uh, Jerry started in 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 the in. Uh, uh, Right, he was in college at the University of Memphis, and he got into radio and wanted to be in radio and TV. And of course, wrestling—he'd been around wrestling a lot, and that's how he he started a few years before me. And our our mothers were sisters. And uh, when I was in college, a couple of my buddies were—we uh, were on a weightlifting team, and they they wanted us to try to do this, and they talked me into doing it, and and I went and and. 
tried it one one night in a in a training session and that was it. I mean, I was bitten. I wanted it. I and I went after it. How did the Honky Tonk Man character come together? Was it did that really take shape when you got to WWF at the time and and, and got worked hand in hands with Vince? Uh, no, I, I I started it a, a few years earlier. Uh, I had like any character development, and sometimes you have to try a lot of things before you find the one that really works or the one that you that you're comfortable doing. And and I had done a few other things in, in my in my career, and and it, it was I had gotten to a point of being kind of uh, it was stale, and I needed a change and. And I heard this song one night as we were traveling down the highways, like we did at nighttime. We listened to, to uh, eight-track cassette tapes, if you remember what those were, <laughs> and, 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 and AM radio, and there was this song, I'm a honky-tonk man. And the words that were in that song was about this character that I wanted and I had in my mind. And that's where the name came from, and that's how I started doing it. And I started doing it down in Southeastern and Pensacola and Mobile and, and worked on it for a few months, then went to Calgary, Canada uh, with the, the famous Hart family and Stu Hart. And, and uh, then WWE picked me up out of there. And I had worked on the character and started to perfect it. But then it, WWE polished it up and, and put the finishing touches on it. Of course, Jimmy Hart by your side. You had Sherry Martellus, Peggy Sue at times. We saw, of course, the great Greg <laughs> the Hammer Valentine, Rhythm and Blues by your side. You, you had some help along the way. Yes, yes. There's been so much that's happened in my life, and I'm so grateful for uh, for everything and all the people that's come, you know, passed through. And, uh, of course, Jimmy being a, an integral part of it. And, and of course, the Rhythm and Blues thing. And, and, and God bless her, uh, uh, Sherry Martell. Uh, that we dressed up and she was the Peggy Sue and uh, and sometimes we dressed Jimmy Hart up and he was because she wrestled also on the wrestling uh, cards where we would go into the towns and she performed and if she wasn't with us then we had the the stuff and Jimmy would put it on and uh, <laughs> nobody ever knew that it was Jimmy dressed up that way sometimes it was it was really fun and it was a we came up with some stuff that was incredible. And the WWE just, they, they said, hey, go out and give it a try. And, and that's the beauty of it is uh, they, they give you that platform and that opportunity, and it's up to you. You, you sink or swim, buddy. Yeah, and in this record-setting IC title run, I mean, you take the, the belt from Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, you end up losing it to the Ultimate Warrior. So you look in the, in the title lineage there, exactly what kind of players you were up against. But if there's a defining feud for me as a fan, it's definitely that run against Jake the Snake Roberts. Uh, breaking the back, uh, guitar over his back, only the guitar didn't pop. A lot of controversy there. What do you remember most, and how integral was that Roberts feud to getting you to where you were? That, that was a good one. You know, that was the, the, the one that really set me off and, 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 and turned the crowd to, to uh, really despise me the most. And at that point in time, Jake was a bad guy also. And with that one, one whack of the guitar, then Jake was automatically the new good guy. And, and I was the, the really a bad guy. Uh, that, that did very well and, and, and created a lot of interest. But the one, uh, again, I took another uh, bad guy 
Ooh, macho man, yeah. The, the macho man. And when we did the thing in Hershey, Pennsylvania on the big, uh, 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 it was a Saturday night's main event that we did over in Hershey where Liz got pushed down and the Heart Foundation held Randy and he got, he got whacked with the guitar. Well, he, in that particular match, he was a bad guy also against me. Then it turned him good guy. And uh, so I was able to turn a lot, of, a lot of bad guys into good guys. <laughs> I, it was, it was something. It really was. But yeah, I enjoyed, I enjoyed every minute of that. And gosh, if if I had it to do all over again, I would do it all the same way. I love it. I love it. Now we've seen other wrestlers with the same gimmick over the years, whether it's uh, you know to a certain degree with the guitar. I'm talking about guys like Jeff Jarrett, Heath Slater, even Elias today. But every time I see a guitar broken over someone's back, I always reference you. Are you the first one to use that as a weapon consistently? Where did you get that in, that influence from? You know, I, I I had seen down in Memphis many years before that. Uh, uh, it had happened. Uh, with uh my with jerry king lawler another hall of famer and a wwe commentator uh he had he did that with the uh i'm, I'm sure you'll remember this the wild samoans oh yeah and uh, uh another hall of famer handsome jimmy valiant and they did this thing with the guitar then and i was there uh, as a young uh upcomer and saw that but uh i i never thought about really doing it that much to, until some wrestling fans actually gave me my first jumpsuit. They had it made for me and said, "This is you need to do this. You have the sideburns now. You have the black hair. And when I was down in Southeastern, uh, in Mobile, Pensacola, and, and, and Birmingham, and that area, uh, Ron Fuller, the promoter, mentioned something about, you know, if you, if you know how to play a guitar. I said, no. He said, well, I think it fit good with this, what you're doing. And the next thing I know, we, I had a guitar and I, I hit another one of our WWE Hall of Famers, Bullet Barb Armstrong, and, and, and away we went with, with this thing with the guitar. And that's how that took off. And then, uh, like I said, WWE took it and just really polished it up and made it to, uh, into this, this, this guitar wheeling, swinging character that, and and it's been duplicated a lot, and there's there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I'm I'm I, I kind of I'm flattered by it, really, that that it's still going on. I, it's it obviously means that uh, that it's still touching people, <laughs> and and I don't know if it's in a good way or a bad way. <laughs> well, I interviewed the great Elias, who is obviously a you know big time WWE superstar today last year, and look, you know, he's a heel too, so he was healing it up. But I said. How do you compare to these other greats that have held the guitar and used it as a weapon? He said, look, the difference is, and he said, Honky Talk Man, I'm talking to you too. He says, the difference is I can play this guitar and those guys couldn't. Let's set the record straight for here, Honk. Can you try, can you strum a tune, play a few chords? What's going on? You got game in that area? Okay. Now, I, I, you know, sometimes I have to be like brutally honest and, and they tell me uh, when people say, man, you really, you, you, that guitar was terrible. I said, yes, that was a, a brutal tune. I know nothing about playing the guitar. Absolutely nothing. Uh, uh, another Hall of Fame, I keep saying these WWE Hall of Famers because they've all come through my life. Hillbilly Jim, who could play, this this guy could play a million songs. He's been playing guitar and, 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 and musical instruments since he, before he could walk. 
and he tried to get me and teach me how to play a couple of chords, and I just, I could not do it. And I've had really good guitar players come up to me over the years and say, you have to know how to play that because no one could be that bad. <laughs> I said, well, I don't know how to do it. <laughs> and I don't. And I, and uh, for those fellows that can actually play the that gum thing, uh, you know, <laughs> I wish I could have, but you know, maybe I wouldn't have been as, it wouldn't have done as well as it did if I knew how to play it. Mean Gene was fabulous because when I would come on to do an interview and do that, bom, 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 he would drop and catch the microphone and make a, make this uh, snarly face and the, and the interview would get kicked off and and uh, it was <laughs> it was like gosh unbelievable what's the one moment here hog talk i know you're going to have a great moment this april in new york it, it, walking into this 2019 class of the hall of fame but when you look over the full career is there a match is there a moment is there a crowd pop that gives you the biggest set of goosebumps that when you're telling the little kids hey i used to do this too what's that one moment you point to <laughs> Well, the, 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 of course, the changing, the defining moment for me, of course, was uh, getting the opportunity uh, for the Intercontinental Championship and, and to go out that night to, with uh, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Uh, that, that catapulted me from mid-card, upper-card, somewhat, somewhat status to main event, where is where I wanted to be. And 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 you know if you can't if you can't be on top you can't be anywhere and that's that's just how I felt and I I was going to make it to the top no matter what and uh, then after that I guess the other real defining moment was the loudest crowd noise I think I have ever heard in any building and if you go back and watch it when the Ultimate Warrior defeated me at the Madison Square Garden it was and the noise was so loud when it was the one two three and he was the new intercontinental champion it was uh that's one of those times you you never ever forget amazing now hoggy talk through over the years you've been outspoken at times you were the master of the shoe interview for a while i read you may have turned down a chance at some point to get into the hall of fame now that you're in now that you're back with the family back with the only company you wanted to work with how good does it feel to come full circle in that regard? It's, well, that's what's amazing, and that's what's so great about about being part of the WWE is the door is open to you. It's up to you if you want to walk through it. And, and uh, you know, I look back on everything and everything. For some, for some unknown reason, everything has a meaning, I suppose, and – the timing, the everything about this year, the 2019 Hall of Fame, it, it, it everything was lining up perfectly, and and I never dreamed it was going to happen. I just, you know, I would tell people, hey, if it happens, it happens. I don't really, I mean, it's it's something that I don't think about every day of my life. Uh, but to be able to be part of this is. It, it, it's it's hard to explain it, and you know the 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 other fellas that's been announced, the DX uh, with uh, uh, Triple H and and Sean and and uh, X Pac and and Billy Gunn and 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 Road Dog. These these guys are you know I've known them for a long time, and they're fabulous talents. And and uh, if if this Hall of Fame lines up like I think it's going to, and like it will, 
it's going to be a, a, a tremendous class, and I, I'm I'm just I'm glad to be part of it. Amazing! So such a pleasure to talk to you. Such a well deserved honor. See you in April in New York. Hey, New York's back where it all started, of course, with the WWE. You're coming full circle, the 2019 class of the WWE Hall of Fame. Maybe you can't strum a tune, but you could sing one back in the day there, Honky. That cool, cocky, bad song still holds up. I hope we get a chance to hear you sing it. He's cool, he's cocky, he's bad, and he is a Hall of Famer. Wayne Ferris, the Honky Talk Man, thank you so much. Congratulations on a well-deserved honor. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Wow, really enjoyed that. Thanks so much again to the, to the honky talk man for the time. We want to break down his career and what he meant to wrestling and meant to us as fans at length in a second. But first, let's hear some words from our friends and sponsors. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Should you ever set foot outside of the hotel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow, now streaming on Paramount Plus, only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. You know, Adam, I got to say my biggest takeaway, and, and again, thank you very much to uh, the Hoggy Talk man for the time, is is how, how much this means to him. And, that, and, and you can really feel it in that interview, and I was really happy to hear that because I didn't know what I was going to get coming in. This guy had, had, you know, he's been all over with podcasts and, and, and on YouTube shoot interviews for years and, you know, maybe not always making the most of friends, but we've seen it before. I mean, the Ultimate Warrior may be the biggest, biggest example. We've seen someone come full circle with their induction into the Hall of Fame. Bruno San Martino coming back into the into the fold a few years ago, which was great to see. And I feel like for Wayne Ferris here, it, it matters to him. He could say, you know, he wasn't sure. It wasn't something on the front of his mind in the last few years, but you could tell in his voice that it mattered to him. Well, you know, he did say a number of years ago, I think that WWE offered him the chance to get inducted in 2010 and he had another prior engagement and he didn't want to break that contract. So he had to turn them down. He felt that was the right thing to do. But it's been nine years, right? And he and he's just getting back into the Hall of Fame now. He's just getting that opportunity. And he's one of those guys, one of those characters where if you told me he wasn't in the Hall of Fame, I would say, Really? Like we, we talk occasionally about some guys that are in little wishy-washy. We don't have to get into that today necessarily, but he's a no doubter. I mean, he's an iconic figure from that era where if he shows up on WWE to TV today, the character would still work and it still pretty much does work a version of it, at least with Elias. No, it really does. And, and, and certainly I think a lot of those guys that, that I mentioned in the interview, you know, where they're talking about Jeff Jarrett, that short run with Heath Slater, top of 3MB when they're doing the guitar gimmick. Like it's all sort of goes back to the honky talk man, what he established in his run as, you know, the Elvis impersonator career, character. But I think he took it to a whole new level. Now, if there's a case against him going in the Hall of Fame, I think the biggest case you could say is that his run on top was very short. When I think of prime honky talk man, 
I really think of that 64-week run over a year as Intercontinental Champion. Never was able to get back to that level, even though his character still remained iconic for the next three to four years. But, you know, he never had that great second act. But when you look now at the what WWE's doing, and look, this is a Hall of Fame run by WWE. It's their rules. You know, they can put in people... You know, Coco Beware, or Rikishi, whoever might be on your bubble where you're like, I'm not really sure they should have got in. It doesn't matter. It's WWE's game. But one thing I'll say, Honky Tonk Man comes into the WWE in, in late 1986. Anyone who was in that 84 to 86 bubble of the original Vince going national launch and was somebody... All those guys are in, from Junkyard Dog through Greg Valentine yep. through Tito Santana, Don Morocco, you name it, they're in there. He was sort of from that next generation. I'm talking like WrestleMania 3-4 era and on. And now we're starting to see that if you were anybody on those guys, you were getting in. So short run at the top, yes. But when he was at the top, you really cannot deny his ability as a heel. I mentioned in that interview how comfortable he seemed in his character. Took a what could have been a really cheesy character during a time where WWE was really tra- transferring into full-on cheese. It didn't get full-on cheese until about 90, 91, 92. But 87, 88, we're starting to see some of that cheese where these characters are very gimmick-heavy. And an Elvis impersonator character could have gone horribly wrong, but I think because he was so great on the mic, he was able to sell that as a top-shelf chicken-ish heel of the best variety that you friggin' hated when he was on the screen and would cheat to win like the best of them. And to cheat to win and make it work as a heel at him, you a lot of times you need some good sidekicks, and he certainly had that, whether it's the Mouth of the South, the Colonel Jimmy Hart, or Sherry Martellus Peggy Sue. Yeah, I mean, look, he also teamed with Greg Valentine. He had the and we can call it a failed attempt coming back to WWE trying to manage Billy Gunn as Rockabilly, which, I mean, one of the most disastrous type opportunities uh, in, in WWE. But you know what kind of helps his case a little bit? He went to WCW for like six months. Bischoff fired him and that was it. Like, so he didn't have like the WCW tenure where he never really turned his back on WWE. It just didn't work out for a while. And when he came back, he was – he did commentary for a while. He was really damn good on the microphone. Um, and really, like like you kind of mentioned in the interview, and I just you know mentioned now, he worked with all of the big names in WWE. I mean, he even had, when he was with Rhythm and Blues with Greg Valentine, the feud against Dusty Rhodes. Um, he's working with Macho Man. He's working with the Ultimate Warrior, Hogan. So he's just as much a part of all those guys' careers as he is his own career. Like, you don't think of those guys without thinking, oh, yeah, remember when the Honky Tonk Man, when they had that feud, and, and uh, Jake the Snake took the, uh, and Alice Cooper took the snake out. Was it Daphne? Is that the name of the snake? Um, that whole situation. So there, he's just, there's so many iconic moments in addition to the 64-week Intercontinental title run. Did you call so Damien Daphne, or are you trying to introduce a second? Damien, yeah. No, into, Damien. I'm thinking, no, did, was... did I miss something in early Silver King? Daphne? Damien's no, I don't know where I came up with that. That was really bad. It was clearly Damien, yeah. Uh, at least I had the first two letters, right? Yeah. Um, but point being, he, he just had a career that, for someone who was not consistently wrestling and not consistently a title holder, his career spanned decades in WWE, and different generations of fans knew and know who this guy is. And the gimmick of with the guitar, he even admitted, look, down in Memphis, you know, starting my career, I saw other guys do that with the guitar. That may be true. He's the one that did it on WWF television and got it famous. And he's the one who people replicate, Jeff Jarrett, you know, Elias, et cetera, all going since. So 
there's a lot to be said about the career this guy put together. You know, and he gave Vince the rightful credit. And look, look, mid to late 80s, Vince, <laughs> nobody was ever better at taking a character and sort of rounding out the rough edges and puffing it up and giving it the right flavor. And yes, he was doing the guitar, the, the Elvis impersonation thing beforehand. But Vince, at the right commercial peak, really helped him make it who he was. And like, let's, let's be honest, when he became IC champion in 87, and this was right after Steamboat beat Savage at WrestleMania 3 in my favorite match of all time, Steamboat couldn't have been any hotter. Vince clearly had plans for the big belt eventually for Steamboat. And we, Title. you know, a lot of us know the, the backstory where Ricky was like, look, uh, uh, the, my, my wife's going to give birth to our first child. I want to be there. Vince gets mad and, and, you know, either justifiable or not because it would have pulled him off the road and says, OK, we got to take the title off of you. Now, in that sense, it would have been easy to probably imagine if you're Vince, maybe Honky Tonk at that point is a transitional champion for you. Ultimate yeah. Warrior had not yet hit the scene and got as hot as he would eventually become when he went over Honky Tonk in 88 at SummerSlam. And the Honky Tonk man talked about that pop, which was massive. Insane. And squash Truly match insane. They had. Yeah. But for Honky Tonk Man to have that to set a record like that and still have it today, back when that IC title meant something, it had to show you that within that he certainly evolved from potential transitional champion to a guy they could count on. And here's the deal: for a guy who was very gimmick heavy, and he was Elvis jumpsuit, guitar, slick back hair, it's very gimmick heavy. Normally, guys like that can work the mic, and that's why their character get over, but they might not be great in the ring. He was very, very serviceable in the ring. Not a not a top-shelf superstar, but certainly not a guy when you go back and watch the prime matches in the 80s. You're not like, oh, that, guy's, you know, that guy didn't have it, or that guy was just getting by on, on his words. He could, he could work pretty well, and I always loved his finishing move, the shake, rattle, and roll, the, the neck breaker, which you know, for, for 80s-level finishers was, was yeah. very iconic, the way he'd set it up by swiveling his hips and stuff. And like I said, I mean, how many instances of that guy cheating to win WrestleMania three and that great, great feud with Jake, the snake, just so iconic. And you can be iconic and not really be that great. Hibbley Jim's in the hall of fame. You know what? Hibbley Jim's more iconic than he was great. Let's be really honest. A really nice guy. And he was big, but he's more iconic than great. I think the honky talk man, even though that window was short, he's underrated and how well he was able to get over as a heel. And look, I, I got another piece of sound here I want to play you. He talked about how much he loved that Macho Man Randy Savage feud and how important that Saturday night's main event in late eight, October 3rd, 1987, Hershey, Pennsylvania, when they held Savage down and, and Hawkey hit him with that guitar. That was a real feud that mattered. Here's a little bit of sound from that period. Macho Man's not much of a fighter. He had to go get Hulk Hogan. He had to send his woman. His woman had to come there, stand in front of me and beg and plead for me not to play the song too loud. That's what it was all about. She was just in the... You were going to hit the Macho Man with that no, guitar. Sir. No, sir. I was going to play the hit for what, it. What did Elizabeth do? She got down on her knees and she reached out and tried to touch me. Because I told you before, and I'll say it again, she wanted me. She wanted to touch me. She wanted to touch the greatest intercontinental heavyweight champion of all time. I love tapped her right out of the way, and I stepped up, and I gave Macho Man what he needed. I gave him what my fans wanted me to give him. I gave him this right here, and I'm going to give it Great. to him again. Saturday afternoon show, the first time ever in the Boston Garden. All of my fans will be there. They'll bring the car, and they're going to park it. And they're going to watch the honky-tonk man do his thing. Macho man is over. He's finished. And don't make fun of my fans anymore the way they talk. I don't particularly care to have you making fun of them either. Thank you. Uh, forget that. I will not thank him. Boston.
<laughs> By the way, I miss those regional promos. Best, That's wrestling to me. Those regional promos, you know, Allentown Civic Center, we're coming for you. I mean, like that kind of just, you know, for me as a kid, it was like, New Haven Coliseum, we're coming, brother. I mean, I miss the crap out of that. So to hear that extended was was fantastic. And I love, look, when he hit somebody with the car, guitar, it was playing the hits. And he's right. In that interview, what he mentioned, anytime he'd play during interviews or in the ring, it'd always be like if any of us picked up the guitar and we have no idea what we're doing and, and you hear that sort of clanging sound. Well, he couldn't play a lick of guitar, but he could serviceably sing. Oh, absolutely. Like, like Bradley Cooper was just nominated for Best Actor for you know doing his best at singing. Honky Tonk Man did a pretty damn good job in the ring. And his ability to get over on the mic was obviously not unmatched necessarily at that time, but it stood out. The other thing that always stood out to me about him, people since have done the cheat to win gimmick, the get disqualified to retain your title gimmick, but he had to do it for 64 weeks. And I don't ever really remember someone being that successful doing that for that period of time. Not every match. He, he didn't win every match that way, but a lot of them, right? And he had to keep figuring out new ways to do it. So he was inventive. It was refreshing. And I think people that watched him in his era, in that era, in the late 80s, picked up a lot of stuff that we've seen booking-wise um, and just character-wise ever since. I think that's going to be part of his legacy as well. No doubt. And look, to, like, to pull off a lot of those cheat wins, we mentioned sort of the, the team he had around him at times. I thought that was some of the best work of Jimmy Hart's entire career. Jimmy Hart's but been great. How, how genius, listen, how genius for Vince, only when he's with Honky Tonk Man. Calling him Colonel Jimmy Hart. Oh, yeah. That and, is pure genius. And Jimmy's so good at during this time. And then to have Sherry Martell, and nobody knew it at that time, she would, you know, come over from AWA and to have her as Peggy Sue. And, you know, anyone in the early 90s remembers what Sherry Martell's top shelf legit Hall of Fame run as a sidekick, yeah. as, as a women's wrestler herself was like. She was great as Peggy Sue. And I didn't even know they dressed up Jimmy Hart a lot on the road at the house shows as Peggy Sue, as Honky Tonk. Uh, look, a lot of little tiny reveals in there from the Honky Tonk man. You know, he's not going to trash somebody on his Hall of Fame acceptance speech here, or at least not on this program. He's so happy to get in. It's not like he's going to turn and trash everybody, but he gave. How about how about the fact that I didn't even know this? You mentioned it in the interview. He's first cousins with Jerry the King Lawler. I didn't know that either. Holy cow. Yeah, that 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 was very interesting. And uh, happy to see this. Look, this is this is my time. This is my prime era. He was he was a big part of that. Certainly happy to see that. And what a lot of people don't remember is he did come into WWF at the time in 86 as a baby face, and it was awkward. He didn't yet have the sequin jumpsuit. He'd sort of come in, in uh, with the country music playing and Vince doing the whole sort of, ah, ha, ha, oh, my God, it's Wayne Ferris, the honky-tonk man, and doing his whole kind of country bumpkin thing that only Vince can do. And I can tell why it didn't work, but how they turned him heel was really fun. They ended up doing a poll in a series of interviews with Jesse Ventura in which the crowd was asked how much they like him and then the poll results came in and they were negative and Hockey Talk Man turned on the crowd because of the poll results and then when he finally turned heel it was it was fantastic. But I'm going to tell you this right now, the Hockey Talk Man can do some jaw jacking and back cracking and I promise you right now that there's going to be a big big surprise for y'all I'm not going to take any more of it I'm not going to have any more kissing babies I'm not going to shake any more hands I'm going to walk by and slap some babies maybe, I'm going to walk by and hit some I'm going to throw some men up in the ring, maybe do a tap dance on their head because I can be just as mean and nasty as anybody else around here. That's what you want from the honky-tonk man. That's what you're going to get because you deserve it now. You deserve it all. <laughs> Honky, we don't hit women anymore, though, in WWE, unless it's in the <laughs> Men's Royal Rumble with Nia Jax, but that's, that's why that was bleeped out right there. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. It's also weird calling a man honky in 2019, but that's just you know that's the way it is. All right, some things will will never change. What are you gonna call him, Tonk? I mean, yeah, that's yeah. that's your that's your options. That or Wayne. You know, this is really shaping up BC already to be a pretty stellar Hall of Fame class. You have one of the greatest factions in professional wrestling history, not necessarily the greatest, but one of them in Degeneration X, and now the Honky Tonk Man. I'm really curious to see what's next, you know, coming from WWE as we get closer to Brooklyn. Yeah, you hear some rumors, and uh, there's no need to mention those rumors, but uh, there, there, there's some big names. There's some fun names out there. There's there, This could be a really fun card when you look at the Hall of Fame as the idea of, you know, wanting to see it, wanting to watch that show. And, by the way, we've mentioned it last week. They do have to figure out this Hall of Fame presentation. they got to put limits on people. They've got to make it digestible. Because for me, I'm, I'm always a nostalgic historical nerd. I love this stuff. I love hearing somebody really thank people and break down how they got here. Yeah. But we cannot have a Hillbilly Jim speech. I have, a, I have a really good feeling that a lot of lessons were learned from last year. Um, and I expect those to kind of come to fruition this year. And, and honestly, moving it back to Saturday, probably a pretty damn good idea, too. So I'm excited to see what transpires Saturday night in Brooklyn at the Barclays Center, streaming live on WWE Network. And, you know, Honky did make a couple of fun. I went back and watched some of those comeback appearances he had during the when Santino Morello was trying to break his IC title record for days. He also came back, of course, and uh, smashed guitar over Heath Slater's head, came back for the old school Raw. We'd seen him a few times, got a few pops, but, uh, you know, I'm going to be interested to see what his speech is all about. Who he had. Maybe he has Jerry Lawler... Uh, you know, bring him in. I haven't heard that, but that would be that would seem to be apropos. Yeah, I think Jake's another option, also. Or or, or Jimmy Hart, yeah, very. Or Jimmy Hart, yeah, very interesting. But comes from a great time. Good to see him still alive. It's 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 uh you know it's sad. Of course, Adam, we had you know in the in the mid two thousands we had that run, unfortunately, where we lost a ton of old wrestlers. A lot of them, you know, as we knew, was in their early forties and late thirties at the time. But you know, we we've lost a few lately. And, in, in you know, even even losing Mean Gene and, and Piper and all that. So, to, you know, you don't know how long these icons are going to be around. It's always great for them to get in while they're still alive, while they still get a chance to really talk about how much it means to them. So Wayne Ferris, the honky-tonk man, 66 years old, the Tennessee native getting in this year. Can't wait. Fire it up. Can't wait. Uh, you got anything else? You got anything else for me? Yeah, just make sure for if there's anyone listening to us for the first time, hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, be sure to subscribe uh, wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Android, wherever the hell you listen. Uh, and follow us on Twitter at State of Combat. That is the podcast account. New WWE episodes every Wednesday and also some instant analysis uh, episodes after major pay-per-views. And uh, that's it, BC. I think we should just say goodbye. I think we should say goodbye. So, uh, you know, the two words we like to hit people with. When we're ready to go out, why don't we have Honky Talk, man? Take us out one more time with the great theme. Enjoy, because we out, fellas.